Hey, welcome to the C3 Victory Podcast. We're praying this message encourages you, grows your faith, and builds your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for joining us. All right, new series. New series, the book of Ruth. Are you ready for Ruth? You feel like you're ready for Ruth. I hope you're ready online this morning. We are going to jump into Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to read the whole chapter, so you're going to have to stay with me. It goes like this. It says, In the days when judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech. See, it's just like, it's like praying in tongues right there. Elimelech. And his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Marlon and Killian. They were Epaph. If Ephrathites picked a good scripture this morning from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Marlon and Killian died. This left Naomi alone with her two sons without, sorry, her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. And so Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "'Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage.' And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. "'No,' they said, "'we want to go with you to your people.' But Naomi replied, "'Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands?' "'No.' My daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again, and even if it were possible, and I were to marry tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Then Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, and she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey, and when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? 
and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, we love your word. We thank you that it speaks. We thank you that it guides. We thank you that, in fact, it separates between soul and spirit, between what is truth and what we think truth is. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that it would bring life, it would bring freedom. Lord, that it would bring adjustment and correction if we need it. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Ruth, Ruth, we've entitled this series, Ruthless. Ruthless. And so I I feel like I need to prep you that this is not going to be a pretty little series. Okay? So, So I would challenge you, don't miss a week. It's four weeks. Four weeks in one book of the Bible. Four weeks of one chapter of Scripture every week. Four weeks where we look at the reality of someone's faith that wasn't wishy-washy, that wasn't sentimental, that wasn't feelings-oriented, but in actual fact, someone whose faith was ruthless. And honestly, in today's day and age, I feel like we need something like this. We need a book of the Bible that reminds us what it means to be ruthless in our pursuit of our relationship with Jesus. Ruthless in our priorities, ruthless in our decision making, not compromising all over the place, but living a life of conviction that dictates decisions that we make in our life. And you know, I only get to preach twice in this series. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm so ready for this morning and I'm so ready for Mother's Day. So you know, if you were to, if you were to kind of just not be at all for, let me tell you, don't miss those two. That's not to say the other two aren't going to be amazing. I have so much confidence and trust in our preaching team that in a series like this, I'm like, you guys have something you need to bring. Week two and week three, it also gives me a break. I, you know, I'm going to give it 110% this morning, and then I'll need a couple of weeks off so, uh, so I can be ready to go on Mother's Day. But I, I'm, I'm known, if you will, on staff as being a little bit competitive, a little bit. We had our annual staff Easter egg hunt uh, recently, and there's a reason that we don't capture. We do a lot of capturing of stuff in this church. We like to, to, to get what our church looks like, the life and the, 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 uh, the beauty and the community. We like to show people out in the world, hey, church is amazing. The body of Christ is the greatest place that you can be connected to in your entire life, right? We, we want people to see that, but what we don't want people to see is Pastor Nate at the start of the staff Easter egg hunt, uh, because my, com- my competitive side comes out a little bit too much. Um, um, I-, I-, I probably relate, if you were watching uh, at all, the-, the-, the dismantling of the Newcastle Jets last night. Uh, you would have seen someone bring rugby league into uh, the soccer realm, and the tackle uh, that was done towards the end of the game received the red car. I think he was watching me at our staff Easter egg hunt, okay? Um, <laughs> It's a little bit like me. If we had yellow and red cards, I'd be out. I'd be done. 
Uh, but, but let's just say I have enough chocolate to last me all year. So it pays off. It pays off. But, but my competitive side, you will need to just, just forgive my voice tonight. I was, I was there last night, and I may have needed to, to have a conversation with Jesus about my salvation after the game, but we're good now. And the blood of Jesus has covered my yelling at the referee. Um, I'm trying to get better, guys. You can pray for me. Um, please, please, so that your pastor doesn't put on a bad show in front of thousands of people. But I'm, I'm a little bit competitive. And, and growing up, um, I used to play Monopoly. I used to play, uh, I remember distinctly playing Monopoly with, with my dad. And uh, this was before uh, my, my, my parents got a divorce. And, and I distinctly remember because he brought me to tears uh, not so much because he was ruthless, although he was ruthlessly competitive, it's where I get it from, um, but I was so ruthlessly competitive that the fact that I didn't win brought me to tears. I may have translated that into my kids, so you can pray for them as well. <laughs> but I have noticed since meeting Rach that the one thing that dismantles my ruthlessness is my love for my wife. I just, I just can't beat her into the ground. Look, I, do, I do need to say that in no way do I let her win. I don't, I don't do that. However, I just, I just I can't go to that same ruthless point in which I can go when I'm, I'm playing with my brother or with friends or anything like that. I just, for some reason, it's not worth it. Winning is not worth it. Husbands... Winning the argument is not worth it, okay? It's not worth it. Let it go. Let it go. Some of you need to let your opinion go in your marriage. Some of you need to let your expectations go in your marriage. Some of you, if you just let your needs go and met your wife's needs, your marriage would go in a this-way trajectory. Okay, it's gone very quiet in here. I thought some wives would be, would be shouting back this morning. Scripture is very clear. The wives submit to their husbands, but it follows that up with husbands. Sacrifice your life as Christ did for the church. He gave it all in the garden. God, not your will, but mine for the church. Not what I want, Lord. I will lay my wants down. I didn't even have this in my message, but maybe someone needs to hear it this morning. Your wants are not as significant as what God wants you to give in the context of your marriage. I'm telling you, we're going to raise some, some mighty men and some beautiful families in this church. So give you some context in Ruth real quick, because I'm already running out of time, but this is a little book. It's a little book, four chapters, not as small as Jude. If you're looking for a place to start, Jude's great. It's one chapter. Uh, you, can, you can read it real quick. Um, probably, probably not quite at a set of traffic lights, because I have these cameras these days that pick up if you're on your phone, but you can read Jude real quick. But Ruth is four chapters long. It's a great place to start reading scripture. It's sandwiched. Sandwiched between judges and kings. Sandwiched right in between the place where, where Israel thought they could lead themselves to where they thought they needed a king to lead them. And, 
And it's interesting, right, because scholars would tell us that it was probably written sometime around 1100 BC. 1100 BC. We know that the period of the Judges is between about 1360 and 1200 BC. And this little story of Ruth is somewhere around 1100 BC. This little, little story of one tiny little family in the context of the entire nation of Israel. One little story that, that really is probably a story that could have been any family in Israel's story. I mean, how many millions of little family stories would there have been in a period of a few hundred years of the life of Israel? And yet, and yet this little story, this little family is the one in which God chooses to do incredibly significant things through. I'm here to tell you this morning that, that it's not what you think of yourself that determines whether God chooses to use you. It's what he has determined he is going to place on your life. Sometimes we choose to disqualify ourselves because of the way we see ourselves. And yet Ruth, who was a, a Moabite, Ruth, who was a member of a, a nation that was an enemy of Israel, uh, uh, who was a woman in those times who had, had so little rights, so many reasons for her to, to disqualify herself. No, her, her determination, her ruthlessness positioned herself to be used by God in such a significant way. You're going to have to wait till week four to, work to, to, to kind of find out what that way is. But, but it, it was significant that in all the tiny little family stories of a few hundred years, this is the one that makes it into Scripture, sandwiched between judges and kings. I tell you, sometimes just context will preach to you. I love it. I love it. The Word of God is not boring. If, if, if you find the Word of God boring, you are reading it wrong. Go and talk to someone and ask them how they're reading the Bible. This thing is full of life from, from, from just the context through, through to the very individual words that God speaks. Sometimes I tell you, He has spoken to me out of the smallest of statements in Scripture. But it's... Here we go, here we go. We're gonna, I'm going to preach through chapter 1 as best I can. We arrive in this little story where, where there's a severe famine. A severe famine. That sounds pretty bad. And what we, what we can interpret from this scripture, and I feel a, a real responsibility this morning to, to bring the, the truth and the teaching out of scripture so that so that you can, you can feed your spirit with something this morning. So that something of Scripture, this is not just a story, but something this morning is going to speak to you in your life where you are right now. Because, because this story hundreds, of, hundreds and, and, and even thousands of years ago is a great story, but we have to be able to get something from it for our life, something that is going to move us in our, in our Monday, uh, rather than just hearing a great story on Sunday. And you know, it can be easy sitting out there to fall into the trap of thinking that you are watching a monologue. Let me tell you, if I wanted to be delivering a monologue, I'd be in a different theater on a Sunday morning. If I wanted you to just sit there and watch a performance, I'd be somewhere else on a Sunday morning. What I want you to do today is to get something out of this that is going to change the trajectory of your life tomorrow morning. And so as we read the passage, we find them in a, a difficult situation. 
And I don't know how often this is true for you, but, but difficulty in our life so often leads us to make decisions where we eject ourselves from the difficulty for a place of safety and security. And so when it gets difficult in our marriage or difficult in our family or difficult in our job or difficulty in, in, in parenting our kids, what we do is we leave that situation. We don't always leave it physically, although sometimes we do. Sometimes we just leave it emotionally. Sometimes we leave it mentally. Sometimes we just eject ourselves and we no longer engage in those spaces that have become difficult. And in the season of difficulty, we make a decision to leave. And this is what we find with Elimelech. He's in a severe famine and he's like, you know what? Rather than staying in this severe famine, I'm going to search for a place of safety and security. But you know what? That place of safety and security was not within the people of God and it was not within the land of God. It was not within the place in which God was speaking or providing or at work. And so what he did was he disconnected his family from where God was providing and speaking and investing and walking with his people and all for the sake of safety and security. And this is what we do. This is humanity. This is how we act. We take things and we take control in and of ourselves. And we go, I'm in a difficult season. So rather than remaining and seeking what God would have for us in this season, we remove ourselves from the difficulty and, and, and we disconnect ourselves from the people and the voice of God in our lives. And I'm here to tell you that if you find yourself in that situation, the good thing is, that God is going to make sure that you hear online. God is going to make sure that you hear that he is still working. He is still working. Because, I don't know, it was, it was over 10 years later, over 10 years later, that Naomi heard that God was moving with favor on his people. It doesn't matter how disconnected you are from your relationship with Jesus or how disconnected you are from the house of God. I'm telling you, somehow, some way, God is going to make sure that you hear that he is there to redeem you, to save you, to grab you and to bring you back into that place of favor with him. You know how I know? Because 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to make sure that it happened. He sent his son to make sure that you cannot remain disconnected from him if you have one iota of desire to be connected to him. He has made a way. He's done everything. It takes one moment of turning around where you go, oh God, actually, I need you. But when, we, when we're in seasons of difficulty, seasons of struggle, don't settle. Don't settle. Here's what they did. They left. They left. And you know what? They could have left and realized, oh, that was a bad call. I'm going back. Right? Like we have a capacity to assess the decisions we make in our life. And in a moment, we can go, you know what? Actually, taking that job that totally separated me from community, moving completely away from my entire family of support and my house of God, doing that, maybe that's not a good decision. Maybe, actually, I'm going to go back. I'm not going to allow the decision I made to create somewhere where I have settled disconnected. Sure, Moab might have been safe, 
from a famine, but it wasn't where God wanted them. It might have seemed safe. It might have seemed secure. It might have seemed like, oh, well, there's food. So the issue that I was facing is now no longer the issue. But in moving from the the people of God to Moab, just having that one issue mitigated have created an even bigger issue because now there is a disconnection from God in that family. And it's interesting because in that moment, Elimelech dies And then 10 years later, it says Marlon and Killian died. And what I don't want you to hear, you need to not hear this because this is not what is spoken in Scripture. That bad decision did not cause that tragedy. What we don't read in Scripture is that because they made that decision, God did. No, that's not there. Okay? Because bad things happen in life. Tragedy happens in life. Okay, what we pick up from chapter 1 as a whole is that if anything, Naomi misperceives tragedy and blames God. Okay, don't misperceive tragedy as punishment. Don't misperceive tragedy in your life or suffering in your life as somehow punishment for a bad decision you've made. Don't do that. The grace of God is so much bigger than any decision that you have ever made in your life. However, what we do know is that tragedy tragedy happened in her life whilst she was disconnected from God. And I, I know that tragedy or loss or grief unprocessed always results in bitterness. And I don't know a better place to process the grief and the tragedy and the loss of life than in the house and the family of God. And you know what? Naomi was separate from that. When tragedy happened in her life, she was disconnected from the house. She was disconnected from the family of God. She had taken, or she had followed her husband. It wasn't even necessarily a decision she had made herself at this point in her life. Although although we do know that at this point she hadn't decided that she was going to go back. She had remained in the place that they had settled. And so in that place, for whatever reason, it certainly appears as though she has not processed the grief and the loss effectively. And see, she is stuck, disconnected, and stuck blaming God. And I, I don't know this morning, but I feel as though in our community... There's people that have suffered real grief and real loss. And there is, there is a danger in not processing that with God because you'll end up blaming God. And you know, we can, we can, see, we can see Naomi's state of mind. We can see where she's at. We can see... Here when she says in verse, I want to say 13, towards the end of 13, almost 14, 13, it says, things 
are far more bitter for me than for you. You know what else happens when we've had tragedy and loss that is unprocessed? We start to compare our lives to others. We start to compare our lives to others because we've got a root of bitterness developing. And so now all we can do is see life through a filter of, oh, well, my, my life is worse than yours. Oh, you got this and you got that. And oh, what have I got? And I've lost this and I've lost that. And I'm not, I'm not here to get down and to make you feel bad. If you, if you are currently working through loss or grief, what I'm saying is don't stay there. Don't stay there. I know through seasons in, in mine and Rachel's life, we have journeyed through and continue to journey through seasons of loss and tragedy and grief. And what I have learned is there is no other place than the house of God or the family of God to actually allow God to bring a true and proper healing to those spirits those spaces and places within us that are genuinely hurt and broken by pain and tragedy. We should not pretend and kid ourselves that somehow as believers we're immune to pain and we're immune to, to the damage that's, that, that, that occurs to our heart and our lives when we go through tragedy and loss and difficulty. It's real. We have to get to a place where we allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough with the Holy Spirit to bring that to him and allow, allow him to minister and bring healing. Or we are in danger of ending up as Naomi did. She says in verse 16, no, sorry, she doesn't say that. In verse 20, don't call me Naomi. Do you know what Naomi means? Naomi means pleasant. means pleasant. She says, instead call me Mara. Mara. Mara means bitter. Have you, ever, have you ever begun to define your life by what's happened to you? Have you ever got to a place where you lose sight of the fact that you're blessed simply because you know Jesus and your eternity is secured? That you are walking with a God who is good and faithful no matter what? Have you ever got to a place in your life where you have lost sight of that because of tragedy, because of loss? And I'm not talking about just loss where maybe, maybe a family member or, or, or someone has. There are so many types of loss. Yes, there's the real loss of life. There's the loss of, of spouses. There's the loss of, of children. There's the loss of dreams. There's the loss of opportunities. I'm telling you, sometimes the grief that we carry undealt with more than the loss of a somebody because we recognize that grief is the loss of an opportunity. Like you... I need to lighten this a little bit. Like I remember the day I turned 30 and I realized turning professional in sport was gone. <laughs> right? Like my, my dream of professional sports is done. No one makes it at 30. I'm, I'm now aiming for the Masters games. That's where I'm at. I'm like, bring that on. Okay, but, but unprocessed lost opportunity, unprocessed lost dream, like you had a dream to do something, go somewhere, be somebody, and, and, and maybe in your own decisions, or maybe, maybe something happened which forced you to change the course of your life. That loss is a loss. That loss carries with it a grief. And, and, and when we don't process those griefs, 
it's just as damaging to our soul because we see people whose lives seem to be going on the trajectory that we hoped for and we wanted. And so that bitterness begins to fester with jealousy and comparison. And before you know it, we're sitting there and we're twisted and we're critiquing and, and all we are is complaining and whinging and, and we end up being, being all of this on the inside. And we start to say, oh, our life sucks. And the very things that God has spoken over your life, maybe when you were young as a teenager, I tell you, when you hear things spoken over your life, like you're going to make a difference. Like you're going to do things for the kingdom of God. And then you get to your 20s and your 30s and or school maybe didn't go how you planned or, or university didn't go how you planned or you dropped out of university and now you're just working this job that you never thought you'd be doing. You thought you'd be doing this, but now you're doing this. Then you forget that God is bigger. And God is able to use you wherever you are. And the word that he spoke over your life, maybe when you were young, I'm telling you, he is able to bring it to pass. But we have, got to, we have got to have a moment like, like Naomi has in verse 7. In verse 7, where it says, With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living. We need a moment where we start to decide that that space in our life is a had-been living. Oh, I had been living there. Let me tell you, I, got, I have some had-been livings i got some had-been livings I can't say here because this is live streaming and it stays on the internet. But you know what? I set out from those. When my brother came to me and said, hey, Nate, do you want to come to church? I think it would do you good to come to church. And I said, yes. I didn't even realize at that time that that was a set out from where I had been living. But I set out and I took the road that led back to Judah. Judah, the place, the people of God. I set out from where I had been living, where I had been living in negativity, bitterness, in unprocessed grief, in rejection. I set out from the place where I had been living, that place of missed opportunity, or disappointment because that didn't come to pass in my life or, or maybe all of these things led to a really tough life or a life that I never signed up for. I felt like I never signed up for or I set out from the place where I had been living. Maybe it's just a had been living where you have curated your life to be so comfortable that you've forgotten what it looks like to live with conviction. It's time to make that a had been living and set out on the road back. Do you know what the road back looks like? The road back looks like response. The road back looks like re-engaging in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The road back looks like opening yourself up authentically and genuinely to a God who loves you and saying, this is where I'm really at, God, I need you. Sorry, I'm yelling a lot today. <clears throat> you know, shortly after, Rachel and I lost her sister and then we had a miscarriage. I got to a place where I wasn't sure I, I really believed in a whole lot of stuff. And we were on a holiday in Cairns. 
And Rach was at her wit's end with me because I was all over the place. I was negative. I was, I was wrestling with significant anxiety over things. And she sat me down. I'm telling you, man, if you find a wife <laughs> from the Lord who will sit you down, you have found a good thing. And she said, Nate, enough's enough. Do you believe that God died for you? And I said, I don't know. I don't even know anymore. I don't remember the question she asked after that, the one after that, but I know the next final one she asked. She goes, Nate, do you you even believe there's a God? And that was the first question that she asked me that day. That without a shadow of a doubt, I was able to answer with full conviction, yes, yes, I believe there's a God. Full stop. And do you want to know where my prayer life started after that? Not all of these great words, not all this eloquence, not all this, you know, recited whatever I've learned. My prayer life started and still does a significant amount of time. God, I thank you that you're real. Because everything flowed for me from that moment. That was the road back for me to Judah. And you want to know what? The whole time I was sitting in the house of God. Sitting in the house of God doesn't make you immune to being disconnected authentically from where you are at and what God wants to do in your life. And I thought that when I first came back to Jesus in 2005, that I had spent all the time I needed on the altar in tears. We used to joke that I had my own personal reserved sign at the altar. Week after week after week after week, when you bind yourself up with as much stuff that I bound myself up with, you need a few weeks A few months of God breaking some stuff off your life. When you've got as unprocessed rejection as I carried into the house of God at that season in my life, you need a season, week in and week out, of God just telling you that He loves you. But this was a different moment. When I found myself back at the altar, almost 10 years, later because our our journey with the spirit it's not a one off moment you journey this life you will pick up pain and damage and and you'll lose your way and you'll get off track and you'll go through seasons where you feel like you don't have the river of the spirit in you like we're talking about earlier during worship like all sorts of stuff happens in this life and if we box the the engagement of the Holy Spirit down to like that first moment or, you know, our youth camp. God touched me at youth camp, you know. Oh, got slain in the spirit at youth camp, you know. And somehow that's supposed to, to, to be enough for us for the rest of our lives. And, you know, I was talking to Rachel about this and she's like, I think you're giving Naomi a hard time. 
Maybe Rachel should have preached this message. But she's like, she's like, Nate, like, I, I get Naomi. Just like, sure, she might, she might be in that place, but look, look at what she's walked through. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. She's lost everything that meant security and safety in her life. Give her a break. <laughs> Give her a break. And I, in that moment, I felt God say to me, Hey, Nate, you, you know like when during the week you feel like you're struggling to keep your head above water, like parenting, like, like you have three kids and it's tough and you're tired and one's not sleeping? He's like, you, you get pretty negative pretty quick. And I felt like that this message is not just for those of us that feel like we have unprocessed grief, unprocessed loss. But Naomi is an image of those of us that just feel overwhelmed by life and lost from our connection with Jesus. And I can relate to Naomi, where it's like, man, the, the monotony of the drop-off and the pick-up and, and, and the sports, the kids' sports, and, 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 and wanting to be an intentional and great dad, but, but not sleeping well and being tired and, and, and all of these things that just... And, and, and sometimes it feels like, well, hang on, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep my head above, above water here. Like we got, we got the cost of living going up. We got interest rates. We got all of these things. And, 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 and you're here telling me I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And I'm just trying to keep my head above water. And I want to remind you that it's exactly in that spot that God wants to hear you. God wants you to hear that he is still at work that He is still at work in your life, that He has a desire for you to reconnect with Him. And you may not be like Naomi, geographically separated, but that week you've had in your family, the craziness of raising kids or the craziness of looking after aging parents or, or all the other complexities that come with our life. There's so many, I can't go through them all. But in that craziness, you've stepped back because it was, it's, too, it's too hard. It's too hard to get up at 6 a.m. and pray. I'm just saying that. That might not be you. It's too hard to read my Bible at night once the kids are in bed because I'm exhausted and I just want to veg in front of the TV. But in that place of difficulty and suffering, I've separated myself. I've separated myself. Maybe you've separated yourself this week, this month, this past season in your life. You've separated yourself. Well, you know what? Maybe God sent me this morning to, the, to be the voice that is saying to you so that you can hear all the way in your Moab, wherever that is for you, here this morning, that the Lord has blessed His people in Judah. That the Lord has a blessing for you in connecting with Him. Maybe it's strength, healing. I don't know what you need, but He does. And He is telling you this morning, He has it. He has it in an unending supply. 
there's so much more that I want to preach this morning. But you're just going to have to go and read Ruth chapter 1 yourself and see what God says to you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming messages. We would love for you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au.